Hey, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. My guest today is a researcher. She's an inventor. She's a speaker, a teacher, a practitioner, and an author, an author of Tuning the Human Biofield and her latest juicy book, Electric Body, Electric Health, which is amazing. And um, she's also been my mentor um, as a practitioner myself of biofield tuning. And um, she's just a modern day badass. So Eileen McCusick, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you bet. My pleasure, Dana. Yeah. So I really look forward to nerding out with you for the next 45 minutes or so. Um, So let's just jump right in. And most people I would imagine that know me or know you know what the biofield is, but there's going to be some people that are watching that have no clue what the biofield is or biofield tuning for that matter. And I know you've said this, uh, answered this question probably thousands of times, but just as a foundational starting off point, can you say in your words, just explain what the biofield is, what the heck that is, and really why should we care? Yeah, good question. Why should we care? Well, <clears throat> you know, the term biofield, I think, is, is definitely an evolving term at the moment. It was coined in 1994 by a panel of National Institute for Health scientists to describe the electromagnetic field around the body, which has also been called the aura or the human energy field. It's often considered something that is putative or subtle, like rumored to exist. Our current medical model denies the existence of the field around the body. And I read an article in Forbes magazine couple of years ago that vehemently denied the existence of a field around the body, said it was complete nonsense. Um, But the fact of the matter is that it is a basic law of physics that anything that has an electric current running through it has a magnetic field around it. And the human body is no exception. So we definitely have electric current running through our body. It's the juice that powers us and keeps us alive. It drives our heartbeat, our brain rhythms, our digestion, our respiration. It's this is all electrically driven. And so we absolutely have current running through us. So we absolutely have a field around us. And so I call the biofield the body's electrical system in its entirety because you you can't separate the electric current from the magnetic field. It's really one and the same. And the body's electrical system is a system we don't talk about, that we don't learn about. We get it in parts and pieces. And a lot of people understand that their heart is electric because if it goes off rhythm, you get a pacemaker and that regulates the electrical activity. And if it stops, they jumpstart it with the same electricity that comes out of the wall. Mm -hmm. So if if anybody's ever gotten an EEG, they know that their brain waves are electric. Um, What a lot of us don't realize is that our digestion is a process of electrical fermentation. Uh, Digestion strips the electrons from your food and that's what gets delivered to your body, the juice that we run on. Same with breathing oxygen, like oxygen isn't just a gas. The oxygen molecule has four free electrons. And when we breathe in oxygen, it's this electrical charge in oxygen that actually binds to our hemoglobin and gets dropped off at our cells. So we run on electrical juice and we get it mostly from our breath. And that is what keeps the electricity moving through our body and our biofield circulating. So I've come to see the biofield as shaped like a torus or toroid, which is basically a bubble 
with a spiral channel down the middle. Some people compare it to a donut or make it be a really fat donut. And that, <clears throat> so we have this channel of energy that runs down the spine. And then we're surrounded by this magnetic bubble that actually has a boundary at the outside. And it's a self-circulating flow of electrical energy. We have a descending current that comes in through our head that's net positive, and we have an ascending current that comes up through our feet that is net negative. And these two forces spiral around us and form that outer boundary of the field. Now, structurally, it's not so different than the Earth's atmosphere. The Earth has a electrical boundary at the outer edge. The Earth is an electrical being with a magnetic field, and the sun is the same way. The sun has a magnetic bubble that all the planets are in. We're actually like inside the sun and it's bounded by a boundary. So there's a fractal expression of how electromagnetism works in nature. Cool. And how do we, um, how do we navigate the biofield? You and I know this, but how do we um, explain this to folk that are new to the idea that everything is vibration we are energy, we have this field, and it exists, and it has information in it that can um, benefit us in some way by giving us feedback about how maybe we do ourselves in life, how Diane does Diane. How do you explain how we pick that up? Well, if you think about it, every single experience we have in life, everything we see, everything we smell, everything we hear, everything we touch, is translated by the body into an electromagnetic signal, which would mean that all of our memories are actually held in our electromagnetic system. And what I have discovered is that the biofield is also our mind, it's our memory bank. All, all of our memories are stored. It's like this invisible cloud storage system that's hidden in plain view around us. And what I did was I actually mapped this territory with sound, like sonar. I bounced sound off of people from close to the body, from far away from the body, and over many, many hours in a very quiet space. And I discovered that the biofield, just like our brain, has a very specific anatomy and physiology so does our biofield and that our memories are stored and accessible within this field and they're stored in a very specific way. You know, so much of what we struggle with are patterns of behavior that were laid down precognitively. And no amount of talk therapy is ever going to get into those early impressions in our electrical system that laid down circuits that then went on to become the circuits, the pathways of our inner and outer experience. But we know from exploring the biofield that the outer boundary of the field, which is about five or six feet away from our bodies, contains information from gestation. And then as we come through the boundary, we come into birth. And those earliest years of precognitive memory are accessible, that they can be explored and treated with a tuning fork in this very specific area. So tensions, patterns, beliefs, stories, all of these pre-conscious constructs that are constantly informing us subconsciously can be accessed and modulated through the biofield, which enables us to have a different experience of them. And it can be incredibly liberating. Yeah, totally. Um, I love in your book how you talk about when you were discovering the field, it was like learning Braille and you're decoding the language of vibration, essentially. And, um, and it's really interesting to me um, when a person is at that point of discovery, like what's it like for them and how the human energy field was revealing itself to you in a, in a very organized fashion, which I think is worth talking about too, how this energy of the universe is extraordinarily organized in its beauty and its coherence. Like we essentially are 
coherent as our ground zero. Um, but to receive this information, I was just curious, like, do you think it requires, or at least at the time when you were having these discoveries, that it requires some level of openness, would you say, or like a willingness to say, okay, if spirit is in the unseen, like, what else is possible? Did it just hit you like, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, like a tuning fork on your head, like dong, and like, oh my God, what is this? Or was it like this gradual unfolding of the artichoke of life, where you're just gathering more information as you're learning this braille, if you will, of this decoding of the universe? <laughs> well, you know, I, I just one. <laughs> I've described it as like a blind fumble in the dark with momentary flashes of illumination where I would suddenly see a pattern or, you know, recognize something that I was hearing. The first zone in the biofield anatomy, when I first started to understand that different areas of the field held different types of memories, different flavors of memories, I discovered that every time I had the tuning fork and I was working around somebody's left shoulder, off the left shoulder, the tuning fork would get into these areas where it would sound sad. It would just sound sad. And, you know, there's so many different iterations of sadness. There's, there's loneliness, there's melancholy, there's keening or wailing, there's deep grief. There's so many different nuances to that particular emotion. Now, when we experience an emotion, we tend to put words on it. But what it really is, is a feeling. It, it, it's, a, it's a vibrational expression of our body, of our electrical system and is vibrating in a particular way. When we feel joy, we're vibrating in a particular way. We're giving off a particular tone. When we feel salty, we're giving off that salty tone, that salty vibe. Uh, when we feel sad, same thing. We're like musical instruments that play these different tones. And what's so wild about the tuning forks is that these very high frequency, very low amplitude waves get given off by the body. You have feeling go through you. Those, those waves don't just stop at your skin. <laughs> they propagate away from your body. We have all feel each other's vibes. Right. And so, <clears throat> so the tuning forks also produce extremely high frequency, low amplitude overtones. And at this very high fine level, these two waves intersect. And the information from that intersection precipitates down through the octaves into the hearing range. And it sounds remarkably like music. Music definitely seeks to express emotion. And, and our emotions are like music. They're purely vibrational. And we can hear them in the tuning fork. Like one, one part of um, expression that's really obvious is what we call alarm. So if I find a memory in your field where you were rear-ended in a car accident, the tuning fork is gonna go <laughs> and we're And we know that, that when the body is in alarm, that's the, the vibration that it makes and the tuning fork expresses that. Um, what's so cool about the body is that if I find a place of alarm from a car accident, I can hear it, you can hear it, most people can. Some people it takes longer to hear and identify the sounds, but they always do in time. Um, your body hears it and your body goes, wow, that sounds really sharp because your body is actually a self-tuning instrument. And when it has its own dissonance reflected back to itself, it will use that input to spontaneously auto-tune. It will relax, it will encourage a breath, <clears throat> it will unwind in some way. And then all of a sudden that tone is no longer reflecting tension, but reflecting more spaciousness and harmony. And then you feel that way inside. Yeah, it makes me think of something that I uh, picked up in the book that I thought was so beautiful. I'm gonna read it, but uh, 
you wrote as it relates to our electromagnetic health that you talk about the electrical signaling of the cells and disease is, is both the cause and disruption of the signaling system, right? And uh, I'm just going to read this from your book, which is so extraordinary. We now know that our cells emit sound as well as light. Not only do your cells radiate light, they also make music. In a 2018 article published in the Journal of the British Society of Gene and Cell Therapy, Dr. Liam Hurst wrote that the human body is home to, quote, 10 trillion tiny musical mastros, unquote. This cellular symphony was discovered in 2001 when UCLA biophysicist Jim Gimzewiski, I'm going to butcher his name, Jim Gimzewiski's work revealed that the vibrations emitted by certain cells as they divide and multiply can be amplified into audible sound. What do the sound, what do the cells sound like? Beautiful, he said. That just sums it up for me. Yeah. It's like our natural state is music. When we're out of, out of that music and we're in noise, disease occurs. And when we were studying biofield tuning, when I was studying biofield tuning with you, and we talked a lot about these pathologies as frequency states, right? And it's like, uh, uh, what, what is it? Um, like depression is a frequency state, right? Um, bipolar is the frequency state of missing the midtones. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. What I've seen when I work with people who are, considered to be bipolar. Yeah. What I found is that they're expressing high, fast tones and they're expressing low, heavy tones. Depression sounds like, Bleh. and you can really hear it. It's very, very evident. So people alternate between this and this, <laughs> and they're completely missing their mid-tone range. And that might be because their mother was hyper and their father was depressed. And those were the tones that they got exposed to. And so that's what was activated and reflected in them. There wasn't anybody around with balanced midtones to be able to give them the information of that experience. And so again, when the body hears itself, we, we all have factory settings for beauty, harmony, and perfection in our DNA, but our DNA is often corrupted. It is, I mean, there's no getting around it because of all of the traumas of our ancestors, all of the unprocessed emotions, unsolved problems, depression, anxiety, all of those tonal tendencies get passed along, along with a hair color and eye color. I call it energetics or the tone of the song of our DNA. But we can, but it's very fluid. Our DNA is much more fluid. It's not fixed in chemical. And we can rewrite the music. We can get the noise out of the signal. We can strengthen the, the beauty that's there. Uh, things like bipolar are not a life sentence at all. You're just an instrument that's out of tune. And you, your body knows how to get back in tune. You just need to get tuned. <laughs> right. Let's go through a few of the diseases, or I should say diseases, because really it's a lack of ease in the body and there's noise as we're talking about it in the context that we're talking about it. So bipolar is that place where we're missing the tonal, the uh, midtones, right? Um, what would be autoimmunity? Autoimmunity in my observation is often a consequence of inner division, where there's an two or more aspects of self divided against each other. Very often people who have autoimmune disorders have very unkind inner critics. They alternate in their inner mental space between attack and defense and guilt and shame. And um, there's just a lot of stories going on there that are all rooted in, <clears throat> not, in believing we're not good enough in some way or another. And 
I think part of why we see so much outer division in the world is that it's a reflection of our own inner division, our own inner self-loathing that most people carry around, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether it's our bodies or some part of our bodies or our behavior. <clears throat> a lot of people hate themselves yeah. without even realizing maybe that they do. And this really puts a hurting on our bodies. Another thing that I see in autoimmune disorders is a reluctance to be authentic, to speak our truth, to express our feelings, to do what we feel like doing. There tends to be a lot of accommodating and guilt in people who develop autoimmune stuff, um, suppression of emotion, unwillingness to advocate for one's own needs, or when you try feeling unheard those kinds of personalities often attract narcissists and people who make the situation worse and not better, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's another condition that can be overcome. I mean, healing is about making whole and about <clears throat> healing that sense of inner division, integrating those parts that are wounded and cowering in some way or another. And just bringing the body and mind and spirit and emotions and mental activity all into alignment. Yeah. What do you think self-hatred? For myself as a practitioner, I've done hundreds of these by now. And you see that common sort of epidemic in society of self-hatred and self-loathing and also um, an absence uh, in varying degrees of self-trust. Why do you think that's just an epidemic in our society? Why is that our curriculum, do you think? Well, you know, I think one of the things, like just for example, about the emotion of hate, <clears throat> you know, probably when you and I were <clears throat> little girls, we, we said, I hate vanilla ice cream. I want chocolate ice cream. And our mothers are like, oh, hate is a very strong word. Hate is a very bad word. <laughs> Don't use that word. And so instead of being allowed to have hate and to understand why we hate things, we're told not to hate. We're just told not to hate. So we, we can't externalize our hate because it makes people uncomfortable. You know, only bad people externalize their hate. Oh, actually, we see everybody externalizing their hate right now, whether they're spiritual or not, is just starting to come out because it's all been internalized. Like if politics make you angry and hateful, it's because you're angry and hateful at yourself because you have, have suppressed and invalidated your own anger and hate. And you've built up a backlog of it in your system so that when something sparks out there, it just makes it all active. But it's your own hate and anger in your own body. And you can blame politicians or you can recognize, wow, I got some hate and anger in my body. Why? What's it all about? And, and so we either tend to turn it inwards or we projected outwards. But here's the thing. We tend to refer to these kinds of emotions as negative or bad. As you know, in biofilm tuning, we don't do that. We say every emotion is a valid emotion. There's no such thing as a negative emotion. Every emotion is there to keep you healthy. Our emotions are our guidance system that let us know when we're in territory that isn't safe or comfortable or healthy or appropriate. And these feelings let us know that we need to move away from pain and move towards pleasure. And it's so important that we listen to them. A cornerstone of being healthy is being exquisitely emotionally attuned, knowing when you're comfortable, when you're uncomfortable, when you're starting to get angry so that you mitigate it right away before you blow up. And, and things like hate are really complex. So what I've observed is that hate is a, it's a conglomerate emotion. And it comes when we're, we've been hurt and we're, that, that makes us angry, but we're powerless to do anything about it. And then that makes us afraid too, because we don't, we don't have any power. Somebody might hurt us and we can't do anything about it. So it's, it's, a, it's a knot that's composed of hurt, fear, anger, and powerlessness. And in order to 
heal the hate in your own body, you kind of have to pull apart all of the different parts of it. Because here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with hating anybody or hating something. But it's when we get, when we deny it or we suppress it or we get stuck in it or we're feeling it all the time, that's when it becomes a problem. That's a really powerful point because I've seen so many times when I get anger in the field, it's almost like there's shame that goes with it. There's embarrassment, like, oh God, they're picking up my anger, right? And I do my best to reframe it and let them know that anger is really just a feedback mechanism to know that there's a boundary violation. And then they go, oh yeah, um, you know, we talk about people pushing their will up against you, you know, being in an abusive relationship, a parent who's an alcoholic, you know, this people on top of each other. And, and it's making them angry at that time in their life for good reason. And so that they can unravel the shame or the embarrassment and just get to the, really the forgiving of themselves of judging even the expression of anger, which is so natural in the moment. It's so Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. People do, they feel guilty or ashamed of having negative emotions. I think that the spiritual and new age movement has really created this tendency in people to think that they're not supposed to feel any of these bad things and that they're supposed to be Zen all the time, that they're supposed to raise their vibration to be, you know, Christ-like or Buddha-like. And there's this expectation of only expressing that part of self and then shame and judgment when we're, when we have a road rage incident or we get impatient with somebody and we're like, Oh God, I'm not being holy enough. I think that's an incredibly unhealthy way to think. Like the world is crazy right now. Like Buddha was hanging out under a tree with no bullshit in his face. I can go be enlightened in a cave. It's a completely different story navigating earth in 2021. And we're going to feel afraid and we're going to feel angry and we're going to feel uncertain and we're going to feel in pain. We're going to feel all of these things. And we need to be real and about our feelings. Be like, well, I'm having this emotion right now. I'm having this emotional experience and I'm not going to judge it and I'm not going to suppress it. I'm going to find some healthy way to deal with it. And that's what I go into in depth in electric body, electric health is all the different emotions that we feel, where we feel them in their body and how we can manage them in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause fear is just so pervasive on the planet right now. And like the only way out is through. And if we can really get that, we can navigate through this terrain with so much more I would hope grace and ease. At least that's how it is for me. Yeah. Um, denying the fear and the sense of greater uncertainty. Well, it's like life is uncertain anyway, but yes, there's a sense of greater uncertainty. The only way that I'm going to be able to navigate my life through it and get the benefit out of this time and see it really as a gift, like a long satsang, <laughs> is to just embrace every color, every myriad of the emotions that are present. So that, because I know the, that when we stuff our emotions, it causes a state of entropy. So can you talk a bit about entropy, centropy, what that does in the body, even what fear looks like in the body and Mm. our power to manifest states. If we are just uh, marinating in fear all the time. So the vibration of fear has a pulsing quality. When, when the tuning fork is in a particular zone where fear is held, you can hear this in the signal. You can feel it and you can hear it. And what that is, is it's the body running at twice the speed that it needs to, but it's also creating a blur in our biofields. We experience, remember, everything we experience is electromagnetic. What we hear, what we see, everything is is electromagnetic. So if you have this pulse going on in your field that is creating distortion, 
it means that's going to corrupt all of the information coming through your electromagnetic system. You're not going to see clearly. You're not going to think clearly. You're not, and, and you're wasting, you're getting half the usual gas mileage out of your internal tank. So fear, when we live in fear, when we live in anxiety, it's creating a state of constant stress in the body. Nothing's able to work properly. I mean, imagine you, you own a, a business and the boss is a tyrant and, and, and the boss walking through makes everybody do this. Are they doing their jobs right? Absolutely not. And so that's what happens in our body. Our body starts to fall apart. And that is the state of entropy. Entropy is the tendency of systems to lose order over time. Aging is entropy. And syntropy is a word that we never hear about. We learn about entropy, about how everything is falling apart. We learn about gravity, how everything's pulling us down. And so we live with these forces of nature that are pulling us down and ripping us apart. And that's the way most people feel. Yeah. But there are these other two forces of nature, too, that they don't tell us about, that when you learn about them and you start to observe them in your life and in your body, you can make use of them. So in science, the opposite of entropy, the term that they use is negative entropy or neg entropy. Okay. What we're talking about is the creative force that births babies and planets and every single amazing thing that you see that arose, this order that arose from the cosmic soup where suddenly we have a tree. Like, how did that happen, right? That's syntropy. That's the coming together of order. That's the creative force. And why would we call that negative entropy? <laughs> it's just such a strange thing. It's like this denial that, you know, the feminine, the creative, the syntropic even exists. And then the other force is levity. That not only does gravity pull us down, but levity lifts us up. If you sit and you listen to a, a steel drum band and you know, you're near the drums, you can feel the levity in your body because sound waves actually fall upward. And, and there's levity coming up off the surface of the earth. You know, that's the spring in your step. So when you understand syntropy, that you or your body, yeah, it's falling apart, but it is also always putting itself back together. Mm-hmm. And, and you make use of more levity and more syntropy, you, you don't age as quickly, or you can actually even start to age backwards. Because life is an entropic process. We, we lose light, we lose energy, it spills out into our field. In biofield tuning, we actually go back in the timeline, back in the history, and find these bits of yourself that you lost, these bits of light that you leaked during a stressful experience, and we put them back. So life is entropic, but biofield tuning is syntropic. Yeah, that's a really great point that every trauma we experience, we're actually giving up a part of ourselves. We're giving up our light. And I think a lot of people may not be aware of that phenomenon. And as we've talked about in biofield tuning, maybe some people do it. I don't do it, but we don't usually do biofield tuning with someone who's an active um, the active death cycle, because we don't want to interrupt that organic process of them basically letting their light out of their body and go wherever it goes. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? It's like, and, and the studies you did, even in your first book where you did it with flora and fauna, how when you put up a, uh, I think you did it with fire, right? or where you put fire up against a a plant and it emoted light because of fear. It was giving up some biophotonic activity. Is that right? I think that what you're doing is you're combining two studies. Oh, am I? Okay, I do that. Uh, So one of the ones that you're talking about is uh, the fellow who wrote the book, The Secret Life of Plants, whose name I'm not remembering in this moment. And what he did was he hooked plants up to a polygraph machine with these little gold electrodes that he put into them. And he started monitoring them. And he, he was trying to, basically what he was trying to do was get a rise out of them. And he, he tells the story about how he had the thought 
that he was going to go burn one of the plants with a match. And as soon as he had that thought, the polygraph machine attached to that plant went crazy mm. because the plant sensed his intention. It basically read his mind and, and exhibited fear. So then I had the opportunity after reading this book several years later of meeting a researcher who had a lab where he was continuing this work and he had plants hooked up to a polygraph machine. And, uh, and so I decided to give them tune-ups and to see what they would do. So one of the plants was a medicinal plant from the Amazon. And as I approached it and I, I started working on it, I found the edge of its field, I started working on it and we watched the needles start to go down. And the researcher said, that means that the plant is relaxing. It likes what you're doing. And so I, I, you know that feeling when you get that kind of final strike and everything sort of balances and you get that sense of release. That's what happened with the plant. And then, but then after I heard that, I was like, well, let me come back and do another strike. And immediately the plant started to tense up because it was like, hey, I thought we were done. What are you doing? <laughs> it was so evident. And, and then the second one was just a bamboo. It wasn't a medicinal plant. And when I approached it, it was afraid and its little needle was doing this. And I could hear the sound of fear. And I was like, wow, this plant is afraid. And he said, it's really funny you say that. He said, I had a psychic in here last week who works for the Colorado Police Department, like a really good psychic. And she told me that plant was afraid. Wow. So definitely sentient beings who speak the same vibrational language that we do. Yeah. That plants and animals, all of nature, all of creation communicates this fundamental language of vibration. The fear of vibration in a human is no different than in an animal or a plant. Powerful. Uh, you say this thing in, in uh, one of your videos, it's an early video on your uh, biofield tuning hypothesis. And it has stuck with me since I heard it the very first time. And I find myself sharing it with so many people as a fundamental point about vibration and who we are, which is when did a thing ever proceed a thought never yeah. right and how everything is backwards how our body is not in our mind right our, our i'm sorry our mind is not in our body i get even backwards but our body is in the mind our body is in consciousness our body is here it's not the other way around and that gets people scratching their heads and sometimes i have to say well Direct experience is the most powerful thing, and you have to really experience it to know it. But the more you get in touch with it, the more and more, or I should say the less and less, you doubt it as a truth. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said that on a podcast just yesterday about, about consciousness, because what we're currently told is that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of brain activity, which, is which means that your brain came first and then the thoughts came <laughs> later. And that's not the way nature works. Everything precipitates from the fine to the gross. The gross doesn't yield the fine. And yes, when did the thought of a thing ever precede the actual thing? It doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense that consciousness arises from the brain. Consciousness is inextricably tied to life itself and, and to all of creation. In the biofield anatomy philosophy, biofield tuning philosophy, there's just one unified field of ether that weaves itself into form. But it's an illusion. It's an artifact of our sensory perception. There is, there are no things. There is no unique individuation. Everything is arising from within this unified field of pure potential, and consciousness is an inherent part of that. And then in the biofield anatomy model too, our our biofield. Our electromagnetic body is our mind. It's our conscious mind. It's our subconscious mind. It's our soul. And, and we are inside of it. It is not something that lives inside of our brain. 
I'm glad you brought, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm glad you brought up the ether, that fourth state of matter, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about distance healing. And we know that it works. And at this point, there's plenty of data to support this on the planet. Um, I would say to people, you could just simply Google it, and I'm sure you will come up with plenty of information to support this phenomenon. Can you explain how it works? Because um, since March, all I've been doing is distance healing, hundreds mm -hmm. of distance healings. And of course, my rational mind every time goes, okay, here we go. I hope this works. And every <laughs> time it works. And every yeah. time there is um, positive feedback, there is a completion, there is information, there are, for lack of a better word, miracles that happen. And the rational mind will never make sense of it. But I can say the ether has never let me down. Yeah. <laughs> so can you explain <laughs> to the audience from your words how this phenomenon works and how it can help them, even if they don't believe it to be possible? Yeah, well, I, I didn't believe it to be possible. Yeah. People asked me for years, can you do this at a distance? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, what a stupid question. This is sound waves on the body, not doing it at a distance. I, I thought it was preposterous. <laughs> and I was very arrogant in that assertion uh, until I tried it. And then I had a completely different experience. And the first time that I ever tried a distance session, my uh, person was in California and I was in Vermont and we had no open line of communication at all. I just pretended that he was on my table. And much to my astonishment, all of the patterns that show up in a person's field when they're on the table showed up around this empty table. And I was able to go through and read his whole field and take down notes, all the things that I would be able to determine if a person was there, like ages that they'd had injuries or car accidents or places in the body where there was inflammation or organs that their rhythm wasn't right or the personality of their parents. So afterwards we got on the phone and I went through my notes and, I, and he said to me, Eileen, all of those things are exactly right. And I felt a state change while you were working on me. I could feel you working on me and I feel different now. And I was like, get out of town. Yeah. Like, how is this even possible? How is this even possible? Now, I'm somebody who didn't believe it was possible. And then I did it. <laughs> and I discovered that it was. Now, since that first day, I mean, that was probably 2011 when I did the very first distance one. So it's been 10 years now. This hypothesis has been tested hundreds of thousands of times by thousands of practitioners who have all had the same outcome. I can attest to that. My so first one that I ever did for training, right? I, I'm standing in my living room. I'm looking at a table with nobody on it, holding a fork six feet away. And the first person I was doing was one of my client's husbands who was not open to this. It was kind of like, just show me what you got, lady. Okay. Yeah, I'm open, but I'm not willing to get on the phone. You can give me feedback, but give it to my wife and she'll give it to me. And, you know, we'll leave it at that. So I'm not on the phone with the person. I just tell them when I'm going to do it and I go for it. And I remember I'm standing in the field and I'm like, this this is crazy, but here we go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the room, I'll never forget it, started reeking of bourbon. Reeking of bourbon. My nose was burning of this alcohol in the room. And then I'm going along in the field as we do, and I'm picking up stuff about his mother, and I'm picking up stuff about his life, and I'm picking up stuff about his love for bourbon. <laughs> and sure enough, I get the feedback, the confirmation that 
all this is true. And it's not, as you often say, it's not that we're psychic. I mean, maybe we're psychic. I think we're all psychic essentially in some shape or fashion, but it's that we are reading the record of the field. Like we're just reading a book, but we're reading the field. And um, again, the rational mind will never make sense of it. But after doing this over and over again, at least I could say my level of doubt has subsided somewhat <laughs> because <laughs> I realize in my limited capacity, living in a third dimensional realm, perceiving two dimensionally, how can I possibly make sense of it all? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's arrogant of us to think that it's impossible. Right. And, and it's understandable. I think people think that way because we've been, we've been so programmed to see the separation of everything and to not see the connection of things. We learn about solid and liquid and gas and nouns and things and everything is, is particles and, and solid and real. We don't learn about plasma. We don't learn about ether. We don't learn about the things, the underlying connection in reality, because we we're in an environment where we're being given information that seeks to divide us internally and externally. And, and so we, that's all we see is the division and we don't see or understand the connection. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that I could call you right now and we could have a conversation and we wouldn't go, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> you know, like, I don't really understand how it works. I couldn't tell you, I'm not a cell phone technician. I couldn't tell you about how the signal goes and bounces off a tower and, you know, all of that, but it, it works and we make use of it. I mean, the way that I always describe the way distance healing works is that it's resonance in the ether and that the ether is the same thing as the Akasha or the Akashic record. It's basically the universal hard drive that records every single keystroke and holds the information of everything that ever is, was, or will ever be. Just like our own bodies record every bit of stimulus and information that we encounter, it gets recorded. And so the ether is present everywhere. It's right here. And the ether responds to our intention. So if I go to the ether and it's like going to the internet and like plucking out the file that is you, I'm going to just say, oh, here is Diana's file and I'm going to put it on the table and I'm going to read it. And I can. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, and it works. Therefore, there has to be some kind of natural law that supports it. If you test the hypothesis over and over and over again, you always get the same results. There has to be some kind of natural law. Whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it has nothing to do with whether the law is or is not. What do you think the future of medicine is? I'm kind of going in a different direction here. Do you think that, do you perceive that they'll be using more sound and light? In your book, you talk about it a bit. But do you think that we'll come to a place soon that will grasp this and utilize it? I do. You know, last month I spoke to a fellow who is part of an organization that has pulled together a very large sum of money through a number of donors in order to blow up the biofield like they blew up gene sequencing. Wow. You know, in the last decade, it was like map the human genome and all of this money and all of this energy and attention and understanding went into understanding DNA sequencing. The next frontier here is the human biofield, that people are interested in the human biofield. They understand that it is the next frontier. And there are people out there who are trying to develop technologies to visualize it, to treat it. It is going to enter into our collective consciousness. We are going to start to understand the electrical nature of the body, how it's vibrational, and we will be using way more sound, light, and wave-based technologies to treat people. Absolutely. And this is part of that Saturn and Jupiter going into Aquarius, where we're moving out of the particle and into the wave. And Aquarius is, you know, the symbol is waves. So this is where we're headed. 
And not to eliminate where we've been, there's definitely a place for medicine as it's been developed up to this place for drugs, for surgery, for that way of looking at things. This is just a whole additional dimension. And when we work in this dimension, it's a lot easier to keep people healthy. Now, I know that's not the best business model, but that's what happens. Biofield tuning in this work is about keeping the body, the electrical system coherent and so that the body just takes care of itself. <clears throat> if our signal is clear from noise and resistance, our body is just humming along, doing its thing, keeping us healthy and keeping us in order. And that's the promise of biofield medicine is to keep us healthy so that we don't get sick. And part of why we don't do biofield tuning on people who are very ill, because that's just not what this is designed for. Mild to moderate, you're kind of halfway down the road, we can help you. Uh, if something has gone very deep into the body, it's gone out of our realm. What do you think is your greatest takeaway that you would hope people to receive reading your new book? What is your hope? That you're amazing. Hmm. That that has been my biggest discovery in this work. And it, and it was astonishing. It was something I so didn't expect to find because it went so against the narrative that I'd been told. I, I didn't realize I was raised in a non-religious home, but somehow I took the you're guilty sinners who've fallen from grace and not worthy of anything like a hook, line, and sinker. And I think that everybody does. And so we all walk around with this subconscious belief that we're not good enough. The kernel of every dysfunction and dis-ease I've ever treated in anybody is a story of not being worthy. And when we're not worthy, we block the life force from coming in and energizing us. We just shun it. The light, that order, that love is trying to get in. It's trying to express itself through us, but we've drawn a curtain and told a story that we're not worthy. And it comes from this original sin story in some way or another. When I first started working with people and I would get the noise out of the signal, I would find this beautiful, perfect harmony underneath. The people were like rainbow beings of harmonic light and sound. They were amazing and great. And everybody, person after person after person, I come home from my office. I say to my husband, wow, this person I worked on today was really great and amazing. And I kept saying, he's like, what? Is everybody great and amazing? And I was like, yeah, they really are. And you know what's so interesting, Dinah? It took probably at least, I don't know, probably 10 years, I would say, of seeing this in other people before it finally dawned on me one day. I was like, oh my God, that must mean that I'm great and amazing mm. too. That's how thick that wall is that won't let us see and accept and embrace our own amazingness that I saw it in all of these people. And it took a decade for it to sink into me. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy thing to embrace. There's all kinds of obstacles in the way. I'm like, oh, I've been a narcissist or this or that. <laughs> like, but it's just how we're built. Our human bodies are so freaking cool. We have the coolest hardware and we've been downloaded with the shittiest, stupidest software. And I think this is what becoming conscious is all about is recognizing like, wow, I've got some really bad programming here. I've got all these false beliefs and false stories and illusions and burdens and this and that. And I can delete all of this stuff and I can reprogram myself with my own language, my own words, with my own new beliefs and new stories. And when you discover that, you can speak and create into being all that you want. It takes time and it takes practice. It's not instant. It takes really staying in your integrity and always speaking truth to empower your word to that degree. But we can all get down to the core of who we are, which is beauty, which is harmony, which is miraculous. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has genius. And every time I've ever discovered this in somebody and I reflected it back to them and I've said to them, hey, wow, you are so amazing in this way. You know what they've said back to me? Without exception, they looked at me shyly and said, I know that because we do know, we do know the potential that's inside of us. 
We just need to be given permission to experience it, to express it, and to share it with the world. Absolutely. Yeah, turning that light that's buried inside and shining it out and sharing it and accepting our greatness. Mm-hmm. That's what I want people to, to get and to be able to do, to shine their light. That is beautiful. And that's the alchemy, to recognize that really we all are inherently magnificent. And our stories, no matter how quote unquote ugly or awful they may have seemed, as someone who walks through the field time and time again, I can't help but say it's beautiful because it shapes them. And life is such a trip. And without those experiences, not that you wish pain or suffering upon anyone, but knowing that is an inherently part of this thing we call life, it's such an honor to uh, be able to walk through that because it teaches me compassion for myself. And I'm so grateful to you that this work has opened up my own um, greater self-compassion for my own journey and my own pain and my own healing. And it's all so freaking beautiful that if we can just embrace it all, as they say, love it all, like it really is true. We, we really need to love it all. We really get to love it all. That's really it. We don't need to do anything, but here's the opportunity. And the opportunity is to just love it all because the alternative isn't so great. <laughs> no, the alternative is judgment and resistance and you know, hatred and more the junk. Yeah. And noise really it's, it's love, it's harmony and the, and truth. And it's not always easy to get there, but when we get there, that's what I call our sweet spot. When we find our inner harmony, there's a particular sweetness there in ourselves, in life, and you see it in babies. It's it's the inherent sweetness of our potential. And what you said about compassion is really important because I really have seen such a tendency in people that they're willing to extend this circle of compassion and love and forgiveness to everybody else except themselves because they're not worthy. And it's the most illogical story ever. So, you know, if you're watching this and you do that, stop (laughs) and give, extend just as much love and compassion to yourself. The healing happens in a place of love, kindness, and compassion. We cannot abuse ourselves into health and beauty and wellness. It doesn't work that way. Well, I think you've said it all. (laughs) (laughs) for this moment you are magnificent i love you thank you so much for taking the time to share with us all this brilliant information and insight and wisdom and technology that some people a lot of people aren't aware of and my hope is that more and more people are going to become familiar with this gift called uh, biofield tuning energy healing all of it Um, awakening to the unseen because there's more out there than it appears to be from the naked eye. So thank you so much. And if you want to check out your book, can we go to biofieldtuning.com? Where can we go? Well, it depends on when this is airing, but we don't have any at biofieldtuning.com yet, but it's on all of the usual suspects, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any kind of indie booksellers have it. So, uh, that's tuning human biofield and electric body, electric health that you can get that way. And uh, it's also, both of them are also on audible and Kindle. And I read both of them. Great. And then for people that want to experience a biofield tuning, either in distance by distance or in person, where can they go? Well, we have some free uh, recorded ones on the biofieldtuning.com site. So if you just want to experience a recorded one, those are free. So that's an option. You can also at biofieldtuning.com find a practitioner, see if there's anybody nearby you, or uh, if there's somebody on the list who you find intriguing, you can get a distance session. Certainly they can get a session from you, Diana. And <laughs> I don't do sessions so much anymore. And 
Yeah, those are your best bets. And then we also, we sell a, a little home study kit where you, if you want to become a student, you can enroll in our online training. We just knew in 2020 went online and it's a two-part training. And the prerequisite to that is to get our toolkit, which has all the forks that you need. It has instructional videos. It comes with a book. So if you're terrifically intrigued and want to get started right away, that's how you can do it. And then you can register for a class or you can just play around. We have people who get that kit and just use it with friends and family. So that's definitely an option for folks as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I so look forward to doing this again with you with your next discovery. <laughs> awesome. Yes, my pleasure, Diana. We'll definitely circle back at some point here. Fantastic. Take care, Eileen. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.